0: Well, tonight we do continue our series in Ephesians, and I'm going to ask Lewis, Lewis is going to come and read for us uh, from Ephesians chapter 6, so Lewis, come on ahead.
1: So tonight's reading is from Ephesians chapter 6, and it's verse 10 to 23. Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace in addition to this take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind be alert and always keep on praying for all the lord's people Pray also for me, that wherever, whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychius, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you. Peace to you, brothers and sisters, and love with faith from the God, God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: Well, please do open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6 uh, as we finish uh, this uh, uh, diving into the letter of Ephesians. We're going to think tonight about the, the armor of God, and I know that interests many people. This is a super little book on the whole armor of God by Ian Duguid. Uh, I'll leave it up here at the front. If you want to take a look at it over tea and coffee time, uh, please do have a flick through it. Uh, It's a super helpful book. It'll go into depth about the various aspects of the armor of God, uh, and you'll be glad to hear tonight because of time that I'll not be able to go into the same depth as what Ian goes into in this book, but it would be super helpful if you are interested in that uh, to pick that book up uh, at some point uh, through uh, one of the various bookshops uh, and take a read at it. Well, tonight we're in Ephesians chapter 6, Uh, And we're going to make our way through. Uh, Philip Hoots was here last week and he teed us up from the first half of uh, Ephesians 6, really from verses 10 through 13, and we're going to take that forward uh, to the close. So, in 480 BC, the might of the Persian army descended upon Greece. You may have picked up the film. Uh, the film called 300, but what we are uh, talking about tonight is the Battle of Thermopylae. And what happens is that the Persian army comes to Greece and it expects to to capture all of Greece, but 300 Spartans, led by King Leonidas, joined by 7,000 other Greeks, they stand against Axerxes or Xerxes, and an army of around 300,000. So, 7,300 against an army of 300,000. And King Leonidas, he chose the narrow coastal path of Thermopylae to stand and to fight. It's a place known as the Hot Gates, and the Persians and their superior numbers, it would count for nothing in this narrow pass. And so, as they Stand, thousands upon thousands of Persians are slaughtered, wave after wave of onslaught. And the Spartans and their fellow Greeks, they stand, they hold fast, they fought them off. Until a fellow Greek betrayed them, one of their own countrymen led the Persians to a path that outflanked them, and the army was overrun. The Persians would overcome this small Greek force that stood against them, but they would not overcome Greece. Instead, Greece would stand and would repel the might of Persia. It's known and it's commentated upon, uh, many books are written upon this, but one BBC historian calls it the mother of all last stands, the mother of all last stands. And tonight, for us as Christians, in our current society, and our current culture, it can feel like we are involved in the mother of all last stands. Tonight, being a Christian can feel like we are hit with wave after wave of a secular agenda, each wave getting a little stronger, churches starting to empty, meeting houses closing all across Northern Ireland and Ireland, congregations having to join together, what were once thriving little communities of Christians now reduced to one or two or three people. And in our workplaces and in our places of study, it's becoming increasingly difficult to be a follower of Jesus. I wonder, have you ever thought of the Christian life as being one in which you're on the front line? and engaged in a battle. You see, I think for some here in the church at Ephesus, whenever Paul ends his letter in this way, they they perhaps thought to themselves, what are you talking about? What, What do you mean that we're in a battle? Well, maybe less so for them and more so for us. Christians that have, have grown up this Christian culture in which we have been part of in Northern Ireland for a long time means that it's been easy to be a Christian. And whenever we come to Ephesians chapter 6 and we hear this talk of a battle, well, well if we're honest, lots of us think, well, then no, there's no battle. I don't want to be part of a battle. That's not, that's not for me. I don't want to have to take a stand. Don't expect me to take a stand. I'll follow Jesus, but it'll be easy. I'll go to church, I'll do my bit, I'll give my money, but a battle, a Christian battle, well, no, that's, that's not for me. It sounds like hard work. But if we're a genuine follower of Jesus tonight, with the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, we will know the language of battle, won't we? Because we are involved in skirmishes with sin every day. There's, there's this great battle always going on. And so as we, as we walk into this great arena, this theater of battle tonight that we're thinking of, let's not be demoralized, because what do we want to say from the outset? Well, we want to say that we know who has the victory. Just like Nazi Germany knew in World War II, when the Allies landed on the beaches of France on D-Day, the war was over, But there were many fierce battles that had to rage between the the beaches of Normandy and Berlin. As the Allied forces would march towards Berlin, there would be many casualties, there would be many fierce battles, many would lose their their life. The war had been won, but the battle still had to be fought. And so it is with Jesus. The war has been won, Satan is bound, but battles still have to be fought between Calvary and Christ's return. And so the Christian life then is no walk in the park. We stand against what? Look at at what Paul tells us in this letter. He he tells us that we, in chapter 6, that we fight not against flesh and blood, but that we have to stand, verse 11, against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We will face opposition. But as we march home to glory, there will be many battles that have the potential to mobilize us. So let's think, let's think about some of the battles. Before we get to the armor, let's think about some of the battles that can, that can happen on, a, on this march. As if you can imagine in your mind's eye that we're, we're walking along some a narrow path, somewhere between Normandy and Berlin, if you can get that war picture in your mind. What are some of the things that lie in store for us Perhaps it's the death of a loved one. And the death of a loved one can can act like what for a Christian? It can act like a a tripwire, can't it? That, That we fall over, that it distorts our whole view of God. Maybe it's difficulty in relationships. Perhaps we thought that Uh, as we would uh, get married or relationships with other folks that we're close to in our life, that all would be well. It would be plain sailing, but like a a motor that comes in out of nowhere. Suddenly, there's a breakdown in relationship, and it distracts us from God. Maybe a desire not to gather with our church family. That can be like a, a broken compass on this path, and it's taken us in a different direction, and you have this desire not to gather you, you, for whatever reason, don't want to be here. Or maybe we're too tired to pray, we're too distracted to read our Bibles, we have too many other things that we want to prioritize, And, and what's that like? It's like shrapnel that starts to rip holes into us in our Christian life, and eventually it will take us down. You see, we're all involved in battles, a battle for your heart, what is your greatest love?" You see, hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. And so the question for us tonight is, are we in the fight? Are we in the fight as Christians? Are we stranded in no man's land, in a crater, immobilized with fear? Are we wounded but walking? Are we wounded but fear that it's faithful? It's going to be fatal. Are we on the sidelines or maybe we're back at home with the spiritual slippers on and all this talk of warfare is for, for someone else and not for us. Look at verse 10. Finally, Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. You don't put your armor on to sit at home with your slippers on. Put the whole armor of God on that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 10, be strong. Verse 13, withstand. Verse 12, stand firm. Verse 14, stand. How? Well, let's see three things, and the first is this, the sufficiency of the armor that we're going to encounter here, the sufficiency of the armor for the battle. I don't know if you've ever been paintballing or airsofting. Uh, I have had that experience, and, and you go to uh, airsofting, it, it's it's like make believe cowboys and Indians, or soldiers, whatever you want to call it, uh, and you get a, a plastic gun and you get to fire BBs at one another, it's very exciting. But <laughs> you, you head off to airsofting, or you head off to paintballing, again, uh, little balls of paint that have been fired at you, and it's really sore, okay? So you prepare yourself for it, you wear the thickest pair of jeans that you can find in the house, and you put on a really thick t-shirt and a couple of layers maybe of, of, uh, of jumpers, and then you arrive at the place, and different places give you different armor, some places will give you a full set of overalls, they'll give you a flak jacket, they'll give you a helmet, they'll give you gloves, they'll give you the full works, and other places you arrive to, and they give you absolutely nothing apart from a face mask, and they say, away you go. And you think to yourself, well, I'm in for it today. And so depending on the place that you go depends on the armor that you'll get. And you don't know if the armor's gonna be sufficient for the pain that you're going to endure, or for one of your friends to turn around and hit you with friendly fire from about a foot away. The, the armor, will the armor be sufficient for the fight? Well, whenever we read of the armor of God, what do we see? Well, we hear that we're in a spiritual battle. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. And what do we think? We think, I need dressed. I need armor. And good. in his book says, Christianity is a religion about helping people become properly dressed to give us the right armor for the fight. And so, what is our armor? Well, Philip alluded to this last week. It's Christ's armor. So, what armor did Christ have? Well, he wore the exact armor that Paul lays out for us in Ephesians. If you're like me, you've grown up with the, the Sunday school understanding, which was really helpful, of the armor of God. And you imagine that Paul here casts his, his eye across to a Roman soldier. And as he looks at the Roman soldier, he he sees all of his his armor, and and he starts to draw up comparisons with biblical themes to those different pieces of armor. But actually, there's something far greater going on. All of these pieces of armor that are mentioned are are taken by Paul from Isaiah. And so, we hear of, in Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah 52, and Isaiah 59, of these exact pieces of of armor." Now, what is this armor for? Well, or what is this armor? It's Christ and His own attributes. Whenever it mentions it in Isaiah, that He will come and His righteousness will be like a breastplate for Him. The work of His salvation will be a helmet for Him. The, the truth of, of God's Word will be His own Word, and it will bind it all together like a belt does. And so, Christ takes this very armor, the armor that He was told He would have from Isaiah, and He puts it on as He goes into battle as He arrives in this world. And then for us, Paul lifts it and says, now, Christ's armor is your armor. He is ascended. His work is finished. He's on the throne. But for us, well, now He gives us His armor. And so, for us, what is this armor? Well, we could rephrase it like this: the, the armor of God is the gospel. It's the armor of being united to Jesus. You see, is that great doctrine? As we are united to Him, so too we share in all of His armor. So, what is it that keeps Christ during His time on Earth? It's the work of the gospel. It's the love that He has for His people that Jesus came for His bride and loved her and then united her to Himself. And so, this is union to Christ. As we share in His armor, it's because we are united to Him. And if we need reminded of that, which I think we do, come back with me to the start of the letter in the chapter 1, because this doctrine, this doctrine of being united to Christ, union to Christ, it's all over Ephesians. And we can't understand the armor of God unless we understand it. And so, look look at how Paul time and time again says to this church, chapter 1, verse 1, you're in Christ Jesus. Verse 3 of chapter 1, blessed us in Christ. See, in, in, in used. Verse 4, chose us in Him. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption. Verse 11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance. Chapter 2 and verse 6, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And in verse 10, created us in Christ Jesus for good works. This is one of the great doctrines of the Bible and of salvation and of Ephesians. And that illustration that we started off with all those weeks ago, it's like Paul taking great shovelfuls of coal and throwing it into our engine. He's taking great shovelfuls of doctrine and putting it into the Christian engine to keep us going. Well, here he changes metaphor, and instead of it being great shovels of coal and doctrine that he's given to us to sustain us, now it's an armor. And so, the gospel is the armor that we take, and we can never do better. For this church in Ephesus, what's, what's the cultural situation for them? Well, well in Ephesus, it's one of, they, they had one of the, the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was the, the great temple of Diana, which is the Roman god goddess, or Artemis if you're uh, into Greek uh, uh, mythology and, and into their uh, worship of, of pagan and gods. And this huge temple dwarfs the Christians. Everywhere they go in Ephesus, they can see this huge temple, and that they know that they're up against it. They know that they need the armor. They know that they need help in the battle. And so they're told to put on the Savior's armor and to stand. Stand and don't shrink. Stand and don't shift. Stand and don't be scared for the armor you wear is sufficient. That's what we need to know, isn't it? That as we turn up for this battle, that the armor is sufficient, that Christ's armor is sufficient for each of us. And so the call too for us is to stand and not shrink back, to stand and not to shift, to stand and not be scared, and to be ready for the enemy. What's the enemy going to do? Well, Satan's going to come, and here's what's going to happen. He's going to be bent on distorting your view of God. First thing, distorting your view of God. The second is, he's going to try to distract you from God. Distort. Distract. Then he's going to try to divert you from God's best for your life. He's going to try and take you away from God's plan, out of God's ways out of obedience, distort, distract, divert, and then he's going to try and disable you from Christian service. That's not my insight. That's Eric Alexander's insight. Distorting us, distracting us, diverting us, and disabling us. And how many Christian casualties lie on the path. How many great people, people that we pinned up and held up as being the the greats and the saints, how many have fallen? And so the warning for us in this battle is to take heed lest we too should fall. Now, how are we going to stand? Well, we're going to stand by getting into the gospel. That's the armor that we need to put on. And then another way of saying that is to get into the doctrines of the truth of the gospel. Sometimes we think of that word doctrine and it intimidates us. It shouldn't. It just means the truth of the gospel. And so we get into it. We, we try to understand what the Bible is saying to us. That's why Paul spends so long in the, in the letter to the Ephesians telling them about the truths of the gospel. to see the gospel as being more beautiful than anything else. And so, tonight, as we think about the gospel, as we think about these doctrines, it's us putting on the armor, and the armor is tried, and it is tested, it is bulletproof, it repels every round from Satan and his rebel militia, because it's the armor worn by Jesus, and it's the armor given to us by Jesus to say, this will take you safely home this is what you need. This armor is sufficient. So, for a few moments, let's then move and think about the strength of this armor. The armor is sufficient for us. It'll get us home. Let's now think about the strength of the various pieces. Uh, This letter is written to a church, and uh, sometimes as we think about the armor of God, we can think about it individually, can't we? Let each of us need to to get dressed individually, which is true. We do need to do that. But we get dressed individually not because we fight individually, but because we come together to fight as one unit. Perhaps you've seen the old pictures of how the Roman soldiers fought. They they organized themselves often into a square, and they had all of the shields around the outside and the shields above the top, each soldier dressed and ready, moving as one unit into the battle. And so, as we think about these individual pieces, think about them, yes, as an individual, but then as all of us coming together in unity to put them on for the fight. We're going to move through these very quickly. Firstly, what do we come across? The belt of truth. You see it there. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. And verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Well, the belt was the first piece of the, the Roman soldier's armor that went on. He, he wore different clothes than us, and so he had to use this belt to tie up his, his long cloths. If he was going into battle, he didn't want them to be draping around his feet. He didn't want them to trip him up. It would be like a soldier today going into battle without a belt on. It would be senseless. And so, uh, Paul says, this is like the truth. The truth is essential in the Christian life. It really does matter what you believe. Jesus is what? The only way, the truth, and the life. It's the truth that sustained Christ whenever he fought against the enemy, Satan. It was the truth that Jesus reached for, wasn't it? As he faced temptation. And so, you wrap the truth around you. Don't compromise on the truth of Scripture. Don't twist it. Don't airbrush it. Don't edit it. Don't explain it away. Don't do theological somersaults to get the text to say something else than what it really does. Scripture is breathed out by God. It is the truth upon which we will stand or on which we will fall. And so, our belts are no good hanging in the cupboard, sure they're not, Our Bibles are no good sitting on the shelf gathering dust. The truth must be wrapped around us. It must be close to us, and it's crucial to know it. Why? Well, Satan's going to come, and he's going to use those tactics. He's going to try and distort God's Word. He's going to whisper in our ear. He doesn't have our best interests. That's what he's going to say. God doesn't have your best interests at heart. He's only here to spoil your fun. Sin is the true way to happiness, and we need to be ready to fight it back with the truth. Then the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness, what is it used for, this great breastplate? It's used to protect our hearts. And so, what do we need to know about righteousness? Well, in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, it says, for our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, Righteousness, how do we think about that? Think about it as Jesus' perfect record, his his holiness being transferred upon us, imputed is the the fancy word, it's given to us. And so this, this breastplate of righteousness, why is it so important? Well, it protects our vitals, and what vital in particular? Our heart because what's the enemy going to come and do? He's going to go for our heart, and he's going to tell us that because of sin, that we have fallen short, and therefore we could could never please the Lord. That because of sin, that we have have transformed our own relationship and taken ourselves away from God. That we'll have gone too far. That we'll have gone beyond the pale. That whenever we feel just one more time that that's it, God's love will have have dried up for us. There'll be no more mercy or forgiveness. Instead, Paul says, take the breastplate of righteousness. Protect your heart with what? With Christ's righteousness. A little quote will come up from from Do Good here for us on the screen. He says this, talking about the breastplate of righteousness. In the darkest nights of personal failing… When when I stand or when I slide sorry right back into those sins that have the strongest grip of my heart, I need to know that He will not cast me off. Whenever I slide back in the darkest nights of personal failing, whenever us, whenever you, whenever we fall back into those old ways, we need to know that we are dressed in Christ's righteousness. Our hearts need to know that. Satan aims for our heart. He will come and try and attack our hearts and our emotions. He'll try and riddle us with a lack of assurance. But there's no condemnation for those who are dressed in Christ's righteousness. Our time's nearly away. What about shoes? Well, shoes, we we stand against the enemy, ready with sturdiness, our shoes on us. We're not caught with, again, our spiritual slippers on. Instead, we're dressed with the, the shoes. Our feet have the shoes on them, the gospel of peace. We're ready, ready to tell others about the gospel, ready to carry the gospel to others. Then we have this shield of faith. The Lord is our shield. And by faith, Jesus took refuge in his own Father. And so we pick up the shield of faith. The, the Roman shield, by the way, was, was a huge shield. It was around four feet high and two feet wide. There were smaller people than us, maybe didn't have as many Irish potatoes as what we do. And so their shield covered them completely. It was a full-length shield and they could lock them into one another so that the whole group were protected. A shield of faith. What does this mean? It means that our trust is in the Lord, and His promises that He will protect us. And so, we lift the shield of faith with the helmet of salvation, verse 17, knowing that Jesus has has won our salvation for us, and we carry the sword of the Spirit, which is the the Word of God. Well, the Word of God, but in the Greek, there, there's a little distinction here. We're not necessarily talking about the whole of the Bible like we were with the, the belt of truth. Here in the Greek, the word used is message instead of word. And so you go with the sword, the, the message of the gospel, the, the, the words of Jesus Christ. You go out with them, and you proclaim them, and you tell them you, you launch or reach out with this sword, this sword that is sharp, that pierces us right into our hearts. Dressed with battle. And what is our battle strategy? Well, you'll see it here in verse 18 and through. Prayer is our strategy. If we're dressed, then we've got to go out in prayer. Verse 18, pray on all occasions, pray with all kinds of prayers, pray for uh, all the saints, pray with all perseverance. We go out in prayer. You can tell that we would love to spend more time in this, but we are being beaten by the clock. Sufficiency of the armor, the strength of the armor, and then in a word, the sanctuary of the armor-bearer. Here's the reality. If we survey the room, If we look round at one another here tonight, what do we see? We see people, all of us here, who are carrying wounds. We're weary in the battle. We're sitting here and we have been penetrated with the flaming arrows of the enemy. Some of us are distracted. Some of us are diverted. Some of us are distorted. Some of us are disabled spiritually. Some of us have even been traitors to the Lord. And so as we talk about this, we think, there's no way I'll pass this. There's no way that I can take up the shield of faith. I'm not strong enough. I I can't put the helmet of salvation on. I'm lying in a ditch somewhere. There's sanctuary tonight in the armor bearer, in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he comes onto the battlefield to do what? comes onto the battlefield carrying a stretcher for the wounded, for the busted, and for the broken, and he carries them back to himself. He restores them and revives them. He comes and he saves those who are dying. He comes and he binds up our wounds to heal us and to restore us. And as we see our King on the battlefield, and we hear him saying to us, that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. It encourages us and inspires us. It revives us as we see our great champion, the one who comes in Revelation 19 riding on the white horse with with flames in his eyes. And so whatever situation we're in tonight, what's, what's our call? Our call is to come and to find sanctuary again in the armor bearer and to let Him tend to our wounds, and then let Him dress us and send us back out. Sometimes what happens is we're on the front line spiritually, and we get wounded, and we we come back into the hospital, but no one in Christ's army remains in the hospital. He always takes us, and He leads us back out, fighting for us, us fighting behind him, our victor. And so, there's rest for us in Christ. And perhaps tonight you're not a Christian, and you're thinking, "This, this really sounds all very interesting, talking about a battle. And it sparked your imagination, and you feel like something's going on with inside you. The Lord calls, come, sign up, come, and be part of my great army. Come, and let me dress you for the battle that you will face in this world. Come, and fight for me. Stand against the world and against the devil's schemes. May Christ bless us as we stand against the world.